Welcome to another episode of the IgnitionBlog.com podcast. I'm Nolan. I'm Matt. And on this episode, we discuss our first Millennium Muscle Car, the 2004 Pontiac GTO. Get ready for some good old-fashioned ghost chat. All right, Matt, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. How are you? Feeling pretty good. Ready to talk goat. Little goat chat. Yeah, so we'll start off. Um, like I said, the reason why we, you know, probably get criticized a little bit for this, uh, 2004-2006 Pontiac GTO, a lot of people don't consider it to be an important car, but I think it is important. I think it makes a good, um, I think it was the first of the new millennium muscle cars, and it's even fitting because... The first muscle car, according to a lot of automotive enthusiasts, was the 1964 GTO. So, um, Matt can talk a little bit about that, and that car we'll touch on for sure this episode. Okay, so in 63, General Motors kind of issued a company-wide ban on, on motorsports, which sucked. I mean, then they kind of had to figure something else out. Um, no more NASCAR. No more, no more NASCAR. Dale. Yeah, no more doing it for Dale. Um, so the engineers at Pontiac got this bright idea to um, come up with an option package, which meant putting their biggest V8 engine into their smallest car, which is the Tempest Le Mans. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they shoved a 325 horsepower 389 V8 into their tiniest yeah. car, and it was just an option think, package. Well, the reason they did it as an option package, too, too we should mention, is because I guess uh, not only racing, because people are getting injured in racing, uh, just performance in general was freaking out the engineering policy committee. So they didn't like the fact, they didn't want to do any performance cars or anything like that. So I think uh, engineers like John DeLorean, and that's the actual DeLorean, the guy that uh, did the DeLorean car from, you know, Back to the Future and all that fun stuff. He was the, uh, you know, working with Pontiac at the time and came up with this great idea of making an option package, which is what mm-hmm. Matt talked about. They to kind of hide it away from the engineers so they wouldn't they wouldn't realize what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And by time the uh, the policy committee, the engineering policy committee, even learned that this existed, is they'd already sold or they were built, I guess, five thousand of these Pontiac GTO package Tempests, which is awesome. They were like wildly popular at that point. Hey, tough luck! You're not going to be able to you know stop this train now. So yeah, what are you going to do? Take them all back? No. Exactly. Uh, and fun fact too, which I, I learned, the original GTO, the name GTO, literally came from the Ferrari 250 GTO, which is cool. Uh, uh, I think John DeLorean was, you know, later we'd find out too, he's way into kind of extravagant, you know, European lifestyle, and he loved the name GTO and used it on their, their option package and later the, the vehicle that was built. So that's pretty cool. And they originally, they, they tried out the uh, GTO Tiger. But everybody kind of yeah. just loved the goat from the beginning, and that's kind of what it stayed at. Yeah, I, yeah. The marketing guy we uh, we've seen in a bunch of videos. You look at the old stuff. Jim Wangers, he was on the marketing team that worked with John Delorean to kind of help kind of create this muscle car branding. Um, and uh, yeah, for some reason they loved tigers at the time. Tony the Tiger, Kellogg's. <laughs> uh, I feel like it'd be much easier to be a marketing guy back then. Just picture like a stupid animal that everyone uses slap a tiger and everything <laughs> like yeah man tiger <laughs> now nah, we're gonna go with the tiger but still call it the goat <laughs> yeah uh and i like the goat i think you and i both like the goat name better um yeah. it's just i don't know it sounds cooler and and goat kind of stands for greatest of all time 
according to uh, LL Cool J. And there's nothing out there with a goat. Everything's like a, a lion or a tiger or an eagle or something like that. This was just a goat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a goat. And I guess, yeah, because it was, I think, one ad. Poor suckers. They did one ad somewhere where they like changed the GTO name to say goat, and then that stuck. So. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so that name stuck. Uh, that car, uh, of course, is legendary. Um, Jim Wangers is known as the godfather of GTO. He was the one at the marketing department that kind of helped push the momentum. Uh, the guy's got a sweet comb over toupee. I don't know what it is, but he's awesome. Sweet hair. Yeah. Yeah, so feel free to look up some Jim Wangers videos because the man knows a lot about the GTO um, and not much about hairstyle. Yeah. So, and one of his famous quotes is why they were doing this is as awful as it sounds, what we did is take racing off the track and put it on the streets. It's terrible, but it's true. The market was sitting there waiting for this with open hands. So basically they were, since they couldn't, they couldn't go to NASCAR, they couldn't do any racing. They had to bring the the small cars with the big engine somewhere. And everybody loved the, you know, race from stoplight to stoplight. So they had to figure out a way to do that. Might as well. It created a whole kind of Americana culture around this kind of, you know, you know, young kids racing in the streets, you know, all those movies. Uh, I mean, it, and it's still there today. Like, even though you don't have the fastest car in the world, it's mm-hmm. it's just fun to go from stoplight to stoplight and see if, you know, see who's quicker. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think that's what, the reason why we're talking about these Millennium Muscle Cars. I think the muscle car era is kind of back. Um, I remember, it's kind of a tangent, but I remember, you know, you think of the fa- first Fast and the Furious movie. Like, all I grew up in middle school and high school with was kind of imports it was all hard oh, yeah. it was all toyota supra i mean the 90s and the 80s were imports you know they they grew out of like crazy and the american car companies were uh they do well but i'm saying the muscle car was dying you know it was dead completely at that point yeah the 90s mustang didn't really have anything going on yeah so i think that's you know we'll skip forward now to so like the late 90s like i said i think in the 70s you had the gas crisis the last pontiac gto that was made unfortunately in 74 had a 5.7 liter v8 that had 200 horsepower which is like insane like it had pretty depressing yeah there. yeah um that was all because the gas crisis and it let the kind of imports take over and so you know we're going to correlate all this back to fast and the furious so <laughs> every yeah exactly <laughs> But it's like, like the fast, the first Fast and Furious was kind of this, you know, whatever. You know, I love that movie, but I'm saying it's it's heavily import. And then if you look at the later episodes, it's kind of a challenger. It's yeah, your muscle cars. Well, even from the very car. beginning, Vin Diesel pulls up in his huge muscle car that smokes everybody, which just yep, you know, makes it makes the muscle car seem way better. And it just needed to come back. Yeah, I think that was right around that time, kind of early 2000s, and that was kind of setting things up um, for the for the new GTO. So like, I think the first car was important. It's established the you know the history of muscle cars and set the whole thing off. Um, if you want to learn more about that car, there's a great book. Uh, I have the audio book, but Engines of Change, A History of the American Dream in 15 Cars by Paul Ingrassia. Um, it's definitely worth a, ch- a, a look. It's got everything from the GTO to the Beetle uh, to the Prius, so... Um, yeah, it's a pretty good read. Moving on. So in Australia, while we were having gas crisis, and Australia was to some extent, but not as, as much, they, they never lost their love for the big engine rear wheel drive muscle cars. And, um, you know, my family's from Australia and like I said, uh, 
I always love their car culture. And there's Ford Falcons. There's uh, all this stuff that just the muscle cars were alive. And one of those brands, or uh, muscle cars, was the Holden Monaro. It was a famous car in the 60s. Um, in the 98, the Melbourne uh, Motor Show, Holden pulled the cover of, off of a car they called the Commodore Coupe. And everyone flipped out. Like I said, it was uh, an important car for them. And Holden Commodore 1997 launched, and we shared a uh, platform with Opel Omega, and we also had its Cadillac Catera, which, you know, Matt remembers that car, I'm sure. Great, Cadillac great car. Catera was a, yeah, it was kind of a different look for Cadillac, for sure, yeah. in the late 90s. Um, they were still used to the DeVille and... The old, old guy cars. car, yeah. Yep. Um, and it looks like that was a popular car, relatively popular um, not so much in the U- United States, but elsewhere. A popular journalist, I would say, is a kind of European sedan that felt really good. Um, yeah, so the, you know, fast forward a little bit till they come out with a 2000 facelift on the Commodore. They call this car the Monaro, um, which is a you know their legendary uh, muscle car. It's got a LS1 motor, uh, the legendary LS1 5.7 liter V8, 350 horsepower. And that kind of started kicking things off, at least in Australia. So uh, we talked a little about the states. Uh, I don't know if you remember, ninety like late nineties. They set, started having like Dodge Charger had a concept car. There's a Pontiac GTO concept in North American Auto Show. Do you remember those concept oh, yeah. cars, Matt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's still people. I, I know Dodge fans today. Like I said, I'm a I'm a huge Mopar guy, but I remember Dodge fans even today. They're like, man. They'd only brought back that '99 concept. But you look at it now; it's, it's, it's like a, a weird, like, yeah, yeah. It's like a bad Intrepid. Um, <laughs> yeah, the old Intrepid. Uh, but all yeah. this was prompted by um, the former chairman who of GM North America, who is Bob Lutz. I mean, he's mm-hmm. kind of the guy who, you know, does all these crazy things, brings a car over from Australia, and puts the biggest engine he can in it. Yep. He, like I said, uh, Bob Lutz, like I said, he's one of my favorites, and uh, like I, said, uh, I don't know if you know this story, but there's a story of him, I'll tell it really quickly, he went over to Opel, which is another GM brand, similar to Holden, um, in Germany, there, uh, he said, hey, there's there's problems with your car flipping over on uh, in US testing, the German engineer said, no, there's no way, um, so at lunch, he goes out, he learns what the J-test, which I think the J-test was a quick turn to the left, unlike the J-turn, which is what we did in the uh, Kia Rondo. Good times. Um, yep, we'll talk about that later, but we did a J-turn in Kia Rondo. But J-test, you drive down 50 miles an hour, hit the parking brake, turn the car, and it shouldn't roll over. Anyway, Bob Lutz goes out at lunch, gets in one of these cars. I can't remember the Opal car that it was at the time. Drives it down flips the car he pulls the e-brake he shows that it flips it rolls several times he gets out of the car lights the cigar um puts his foot on it and t- it poses for a photo that i'll put in the show notes and waits for the engineers from germany to come out and see him with the car on its roof which is awesome so like I said, that shows just how kind of crazy and um so cool. type of man that yeah yeah that bob Lutz is so yeah which makes a lot of sense why he would want that car here. He saw a lot of positive reviews and thought, hey, let's bring that over to the States um, and get it on that action. Yeah, I mean, he saw it from a car and driver review, and the, which was the Holden Commodore SS. He saw that in car and driver, and everybody was just praising it and loving it. And 
it was a V8 rear-wheel drive car, and that's exactly what he had planned for the GTO, and that's why he, I mean, that's, he brought that over here and put the 5.7 liter V8 from the Corvette at the time in it, and that's kind of what's known as the 04 GTO, and that's kind of how it started. Yeah, which, I mean, you gotta think it's crazy at that time, because Pontiac, I'm trying to think of what Pontiac was at that time. I mean, they had a Grand Prix that was, you know, I kind of liked, but it's pretty terrible. Very, like, family-based. Nothing nothing edgy, nothing fast. Mm-hmm. It was very, like, very modest. So at that time, to say, like, hey, Pontiac's going to be, we're going to bring the muscle car back is a little bit uh, bold. Like I said, I, he's known for that, but I think at the time it was right for it. I think uh, we, you know, we'd finally figure out how to make horsepower out of unleaded gasoline. True. Finally. Yeah. But I mean, even at that time, you know, the 5.7 liter V8 was only producing 350 horsepower. I mean, that that's quite a bit for, you know, 33 grand what you paid for it. But I mean, that's, it was quite a bit because the Ferrari 360 at the time was only producing 400 horsepower for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars more. Crazy. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's, that's, that's the nuts comparison. Cause we hear it nowadays and we have cars that are, you know, We'll talk about it later, but you know Hellcat motors that are seven hundred and seven horsepower. But you got to put in context when when you and I were in high school, there yeah, was just out of high school getting our hands on a three hundred and fifty horsepower manual transmission. Go! I mean, we went we went wild. Yeah, like so uh, we'll talk about that. We so Matt and I had an opportunity. Won't say how to have a borrowed Pontiac GTO. It was two thousand four, I believe. Yeah. Because I had that, for, I had the, just the 350 horsepower, just at the time, 350 horsepower Corvette LS1 motor, um, and that was the first car I've ever done donuts in. I'm not sure. Have you ever done donuts? Nope. That was that, that was the first one. Yeah, we took it out to the college parking lot. Um, yeah, probably burned the clutch a little bit, but we did some sick donuts. Um, yeah, like we got to feel that muscle car. You know, that's where it started. Yeah, for both of us, I think. Yeah. Really, that was like our first. Our first go in a real muscle car. Yeah, like I said, you think that had 350 horsepower, which sadly, I think a 2018 Camry base model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Horsepower. Yeah. Like a Ford Edge has that same amount of horsepower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is really sad. But like I said, at the time, like you mentioned, the Ferrari 360, you know, had 400 horsepower. And uh, the GTO, like I said, I think the first year, and a lot of people criticized this, they should have waited for the LS2 motor because the Corvette was getting an update in 2005, I believe, um, to the C5. Check my math on that. Uh, C6? C6. Yeah, it, was, it would be the C6, yeah. Yep. So it got the 6-liter LS2 with 400 horsepower. So the GTO moved to that motor in 2005, but the first year it only had 350 horsepower. But uh, yeah, I think in 2005 it had the same horsepower as the Ferrari 360, which, of course, you know was the outgoing model because the F430 debuted in 2005 with 483. But you got to think, around that time it still had... You know, there's a lot of 360s on the road. That was still the popular model for a while. Um, and the, this little Pontiac coupe you know had the same amount of horsepower has the same power for a hundred thousand dollars less i mean this car was came to the market at 33 grand i mean in today's world that's that's nothing 
Yeah, like I said, I, I mean, for comparison, the Mustang GT, like, it probably should have competed in this Bob Lutz uh, from GM will say it should have probably been a little closer to Mustang GT, but I think it was so much more car. Like, the Mustang GT was ten grand less at 23 k but uh, this car had independent rear suspension before, I mean, the Mustang didn't really get, I, yes, the Mustang at the time, the SVT had, was 34 k around the same price, and it had a kind of low-rent independent rear suspension that is bolted to the uh, the old suspension components. It wasn't really a true independent rear suspension like the 04 GTO's suspension system was. So, And the regular Mustang and Camaro sense. didn't get that until, like, what, 2015? 2010? Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Mustang didn't get until 2015. Camaro didn't get until 2010, which is crazy. So I didn't have it had technology those other cars wouldn't get for years. And not only uh, that, it had one of the best interiors of that era ever. I mean, that oh, interior still yeah. holds up to today. Yeah. I mean, you got to think from the brand that had the Pontiac Aztec. Out yeah, at exactly. The same time, yeah. I, I think the Aztec was on dealer lots when the GTO was. And you got to think that type of interior compared to what the GTO had from Europe or from uh, Australia rather was just, I mean, it was unreal. I mean, the one, yeah. The, I mean, especially if you think of like the, like the, other Chevy interior or other GM model interiors at the time. I mean, it was just worlds better. I mean, GM, even the GM interiors of, you know, a few years back didn't, weren't this nice. They just finally started getting actually really nice. Yeah. Like I said, with the C7, it probably got finally close. I mean, yeah, the, the C6s the were even really... pretty rough, but they, I mean, they were nice, but they were still, you know, not on par with on dash. Yeah. 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 The C7 was finally when they really stepped up their game, and that was just, you know, what, three, four years ago? Yeah, exactly. Like I said, for anyone who hasn't experienced that kind of 04 to 06 GTO interior, like, I go find one, because, like, those seats, literally, it's like a lazy boy with some bolstering. Like, the, yeah. those leather seats are super nice. And even the back seat wasn't too bad, as I recall. Like, they, they were pretty good for right. four And especially like, with that, that Blaupunk uh, stereo. I mean, it's just the, Oh, yeah. Super classic. Yeah, can't beat that Blaupunk. I love, like I said, the, the just the gauges on the car. Yeah. And the colors, the muscle cars, too, of back in the 60s were all out of bright colors. You know, you mm-hmm. had these Mopars with Sublime and Orange. And um, we could talk a little bit about the colors of the GTO in 2004 and 2006. Like, dude, you can get a, which I, I, I absolutely love, you can get a purple. Yeah. The purple leather seats and a purple, I think it was called Cosmo Metallic. Um, you can get this purple leather seats, purple exterior, purple gauges, you know, so that's a muscle car right there. I mean, Ours was pretty cool. Power. The one we had was silver with red yeah. interior with red gauges and a manual transmission. That was like the perfect color combo. Yeah. God, that, that was perfect. And it even had like, it had the sweet green, like glow to the stereo mm-hmm. and yeah. green glow. Yeah. But like uh, you said, you can get them in all these super bright colors. You can get them in you know, bright yellow, bright red, purple, um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's awesome. They had a nope. blue. Yeah. They had a blue with uh, blue leather. Except mm-hmm. if you find that sweet, uh, I think it was the Impulse uh, Metallic, but it was this blue color with blue leather and blue gauges. Yeah. So I think they had that. They definitely had that part right, you know? Like, it had the it had the style uh, oh, yeah. of a muscle car. I think so, too. It was great. Um, I think, like I said, We'll talk about this too, but I think what they, what Bob Lutz will say they had wrong is the dealer network. So apparently they based which dealers got a GTO 
based off of the current Pontiac sales. So, like, if you sold a ton of Pontiac Montana minivans, like, you were the ones getting the GTO. <laughs> Which is pretty sad. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think our dealer in, I mean, SoCal, but it's Palmdale, I think is what uh, our, our Rally GMC dealer. GM oh, man. Dealer, yeah. Yeah, good old Rally in Palmdale, uh, California. I think they had one. I remember one car. They must have there. sold a ton of Montanas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They sold a... They sold a bunch of Aztecs and Montanas just to get that one <laughs> GTO that I'm sure they sold for. And that was the other problem is dealers were selling them for like, you know, they stickered for 33, but dealers were selling them for like 42, you know, and in 2000. Because nobody'd ever seen anything like this. Exactly. So I think that was the problem. Is the only time I ever saw one was either at the auto show or I saw one maybe in the dealership showroom for mm-hmm. some absurd price. And I'm sure it was dealer traded to somebody in L.A., Probably that actually want to buy, pay for that. So that was the problem. Like I said, it, it sucks because the car was well reviewed. Uh, all the magazines loved this thing. Uh, it was like nothing else GM had, and the Mustang didn't really have that much spirit at the time. The Mustang was kind of a you know yeah, it was pretty, it was lagging pretty pretty far back. I think yeah, it I, finally I just all... got some spirit, and when they redid it in two thousand five, that's kind of when it came back. Yeah, I think when they went retro, and we'll talk about that in a whole other episode about Mustang, but I think the Mustang, I think I appreciate each of the Mustangs, kind of the 80s, 90s in some way. Like I said, I do love a 2000s Cobra SVT, or oh, SVT yeah. Cobra R. Remember the Cobra R with that? Oh, yeah. Big the old red one with a big old wing. wing. It's on Gran Turismo, I think. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yep. So, yeah, I can appreciate that, but I think, to me, it wasn't a true muscle car in the sense that this GTO was, which... People can call it sacrilegious for all they want, but I think, I think this GTO did stand for. It was a people say the styling, so they brought the styling over. All they really did was throw a Pontiac grill on the front of the Monaro, mm-hmm. uh, but they did actually like. There's notes that they took the '64 Pontiac Tempest with the GTO package from the GM Historics collection and actually matched the exhaust note to the new 2004 GTO. So they did at least that part. Like Which that, is awesome. From Paying s- homage to the original. Exactly. And I think it sounded like a great car. Even with 350 horsepower in the first uh, year, it sounded awesome. I oh, mean, yeah. We were doing donuts. Donuts in a cloud of smoke. With a great noise going. Yeah. Um, so I think you needed that, too. I mean, it, it sounded it sounded great. Um, Jeremy Clarkson, that we all know from Top Gear, uh, famously broke his back. He broke his back several times, but um, <laughs> there's a great episode that we'll link to in the show notes that on Top Gear Season 6, I believe, he um, had back problems and so part of that review is he drove the Vauxhall Monaro, which is the GTO. Absolutely loved it. Drifted it sideways and um, and threw his back out, which is pretty awesome. Classic. So, Classic Clarkson. Classic yep. GTO. Yeah, what else can we talk about? We talk about, like I said, I, I don't know if you, you remember saw that, this. I, I, do you remember the key right. from those cars? Yeah, uh, we got to talk about the key because, you know, there's different owners' issues, but one of them is the key. The key is just terrible. Like, so oh, we'll put it's a, huge. It's massive. It, yeah, I mean, it was it was something. It was like a paddle. You could literally swim to shore. If you ever but had. it was cool because it was kind of like the first key that had, you know, like the the uh, remote locking and the key all built into one. It was not like the old days where you got a key and like a separate fob for your 
you know, yeah. remote unlock and lock. This was all built in one, but it was, you know, like the size of a grown man's hand, which is crazy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, we'll definitely put some pictures of that key. But I remember how like there's a lot of people compare uh, complain about how bad that thing was in your in your pocket because it was oh, yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. Um, other complaints about that car uh, when it you know, came to production is it was just kind of <laughs> like the, the tires are really narrow. Like I said, you, you you look at like Hellcat Sonal and they got like well, I don't even know like two eighty five tires, something stupid wide like barrels, and this thing had like two fifty fives at the. And, and you couldn't you really really want to stretch it. Yeah, you couldn't really fit anything bigger up in there too. No, so all that she was just made to burn rubber is all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and she did that very well. She just wanted to burn some bicycle tires. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what I love about this car too is like there's a so a, there's a good video and I'll link to that too is. Kip uh, Wasenko, I want to do his, do his name justice, but he's uh, GM's performance division design director. Um, this guy will talk about him later because he did the like CTS uh, V, like the V series cars. We'll have a whole uh, talk mm. about that. But he made this awesome Pontiac GTO Judge. The Judge was like a big Pontiac GTO back in its history, and he recreated this GTO RA6 custom coupe. It was this copper kind of orange color, and it had this sick, like, wide-body body kit on mm-hmm. the new GTO. Yeah. And I think that, which is awesome, because I think he said he wanted to go, he wanted to push the design a little further, and the accountant said, no way, we got to keep it simple. So I think there's a lot of things that, like, this car could have been just a little bit better and a little, well, uh, I guess, better received by the enthusiasts than it did um, if some of the accountants had it gotten out of the way. Well, yeah, I think they would if they could go back and redo it again. I think they would definitely spend a little extra money, especially knowing how well it sold. Yeah, like I said, like I said if they, you know, they if they really wanted to make it this car, I will. You know, like I said, if this car had stuck around for a little while longer, it would have been great. And but that paved the way for a lot of really cool stuff, um, as we can talk about yeah. in others. But you know, it came the G eight came from that and. You know, the Chevy SS and all that kind of stuff. It's just a progression of that car, basically. Yeah, like I said, despite that car dying, I think it, Bob Lutz's plan for the Pontiac brand, he had the G8 and the G8 GXP, which is an awesome car. Yeah. Uh, that thing's great. Like I said, I, I've only driven it briefly, you know, when I was a, a used car dealer. But like I said, I think some of those cars and the Chevy SS was were such a huge, oh, a lot of their the fact they exist because they, they both came from Australia mm-hmm. and the Holton brand. The fact they still exist is because of the GTO opened the door for that. Um, but yeah, like I said, sales were not great. We go over the production numbers. I think the first year it was on sale. It was like just over 15,000, almost 16,000 numbers, 11,000 after that, 14,000, just under 14,000 the last year. So only 40,000 models, which is, Really small number. You rarely see these on the road. Like I said, I can't remember the last time I seen one drive by drive by me on the highway. No, you never I can't seen either. It, like I said, yeah, which is too bad. Like I said, I I love the car. Like I said, I don't know if people are just holding on to them now. Like I, said, I, I, I hope so. Imagine these will go. Yeah, like I said, I think they're you know like I said ten to twelve thousand dollars now. I'm hoping they'll go up in value at some point when people yeah. start appreciating. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, what else are you going to get right now for, you know, twelve grand? It's that classic with that good of a sound with that amount of horsepower. I mean, it's it's a it's a really fun car. And now's yeah, the time to buy them. 
Oh, for sure. I think 40,000 units is not a ton, you know, like if you kept onto those, especially some of the more unique color combinations, yeah, blue with the blue interior and stuff like that with low miles, you know, that could be, you know, interesting. Um, uh, I want to talk about too the, uh, so the impact of this car too, around this time, you know, if people remember this era, the GTO was a huge part of like formula drift, which people forget about that whole like GM going back into motorsports, you know, you know, and now I got to look up the, uh, if we're keeping with the fast and the furious timeline, we got to figure out when, uh, fast and the furious Tokyo drift came out. Oh man. But remember we went to the, we went to some of the formula drift races back in like Oh five, Oh six, Oh seven, somewhere around there. And they were all about this car. Yeah, which is, I mean, it seemed perfect because I think Reese Millen, who is, uh, shoot it, I'm going to be dethroned as a partial Australian if I, I think he's New Zealand. I'll figure out Reese Millen. I think he's from New Zealand. So anyway, so this drift scene was becoming big. I looked up Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift 2006. So it's right right around there, yeah. Um, But right around the early 2000s, you know, 2005, 2006-ish is when it really got popular. Uh, The drift cars like i said imports have been taken over the drifting was kind of uh this came from japan came to the u.s with formula d uh we saw it at, at the irwindale speedway which is the house of drift in the mm-hmm. united states um i just remember like i said that was where i really first experienced the gto because they would yeah in real life really there. yeah yeah and it was cool to see this american car company you know, muscle car out there just sliding sideways in a, in a huge cloud of smoke with all these, you know, of course at the time it was the, you know, Nissan 240s. Like all the, all the like tuner that. cars that sounded exactly like a tuner car should, but then you, you know, yeah. this big V8 GTO comes out on the track and just, you know, sounds like nothing else. Yeah, exactly. And so there's there's some cool videos online, and we'll share those too, where like when Pontiac launched this car, like I said, it's great, you know, just as marketing created the first muscle car back in the 60s, I think marketing helped uh, a little bit. Well, didn't sell a ton, but they brought back the at least the enthusiasts to the Formula Drift series because they would be out there. Reese Millen would give ride-alongs to uh, GTO possible owners and stuff like that at, at different Pontiac events, and they kind of use that drifting scene uh, to kind of get Pontiac and GM back in this whole performance mindset, which it was not in at all. Like GM was gone from the performance mindset in two thousands. Yeah. Just get some of the motorsport enthusiasts back into the, back into the car and back into the, you know, muscle car scene. Yeah. And I'll said, I'll, you know, I gotta look up too now. I think Pontiac was out of NASCAR again. That would be really ironic if Pontiac, uh, was out of NASCAR in 2005, similar to, to how they were in the 60s. I know they left at some point, but I can't remember when the heck it was. Um, we'll figure that out too. But So drifting, I think, was a good a good way for them to get back into that scene. Like I said, you know, you think Tokyo Drift or whatever came out in 2006. Um, but 2005, Reese Millen won the championship at Formula Drift in a Pontiac GTO, um, which is... Which says a lot because, I mean, everything was also... Everything was always won by, you know, a Japanese import. And then this big old V8 American car comes in and wins the championship. That's pretty crazy. Of what that did for, I mean, drifting was still small. And now it's, I mean, we know how huge it's gotten in the last decade um, and how popular. Yeah, for sure. 
for GM to be that uh, ahead of the times, I guess, in terms of thinking of that sort of thing back in two two thousand. It was just cool to like to see them, you know, enter in this very small market of like drifting that nobody had ever heard of, and then randomly, you know, Tokyo Drift comes out, drifting gets huge, and Pontiac's right in the center of it, which was awesome for them. Yeah, so it's great to see that car. Like I said, it was a brief blip, but that car, I think, helped establish the American brands. And it's cool because we'll talk about later, like the Challenger, the Viper, a lot of American companies, the Mustang. You know, you think of um, Mm -hmm. the Mustang now is a huge drift car with Ken Block and um, I can't think of his name. The other guy, Von Gittin Jr. There it is. Von Gittin Jr. does the Mustangs, yeah. Yeah, So I think that's, Mm -hmm. you know, to think that how involved the American muscle car is in today's drift scene uh, i think they owe a lot of that to the to the gto um yeah for sure i just i just start, looked it up 2003 is when pontiac pulled out a nascar for the last year so just like in the 70s just like the 70s pulled out of pulled out of motorsports and pulled out a nascar a race car to the streets and uh yeah threw some money at some boys going sideways in a parking lot so yep uh yeah that's why she's the goat <laughs> that's definitely what shaped our love for muscle cars is that car yeah like i said i think it's long, you know it's crazy because you you know the import scene was great but like i said i think it was, had started the gto and the drift scene i think marked the end of the imports the imports are always so popular but i think the end of the import era and the start of the millennium muscle car era uh when you hear that loud mm-hmm. ls1 or ls2 motor kind of at the at the drift track uh i think people at least our generation, millennials, stuff like that, whatever you want to call them, um, started waking up to, you know, wanting that V. Yeah, they kind of gravitate to that big V8 noise. Yeah, so I think, like I said, I think it was it was an important car for that reason. I think that's, you know, it was a, it's a brief period in American history, but I think it was important to start off the American muscle car uh, of the new millennium. Um and we talk a little bit more. Like I said, unfortunately, Pontiac was killed. You know, not too, uh, not too long after that, um, uh, 2010. I think it was the last model year after the bailout and the recession and all that sort of stuff, which is um, it's kind of sad. I think, but I think, I guess when you think of Pontiac, Matt, what do you think of? I mean, GTO, GTO, yeah, yeah, that's what I think of. GTO and and like the G8 because that was from our era. Yeah. The, the GTO, the G8, I mean, sadly, the Aztec. Yeah. But um, that was important that's car. really it. Aztec was important. Is, yeah, well, it right is. For whatever, you know. But, I mean, what other car can you get a tent in from the factory? <laughs> that's pretty cool. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, if you're talking about our modern, iconic uh, cars, and you think of Pontiac as a brand, there wasn't too much to write home about in the last no you know however long like the firebird was cool in a weird way like i said i was never a huge firebird guy like i said i i don't you know maybe like the 80s ones yeah i get the but, i can combine that but like the early 2000s f body stuff is well that, a little rough yeah yeah it had, it had the same problem too they hadn't really figured out how to make a lot of power out of a v8 with unleaded gas in the late nineties. Right. Or sorry. Yeah. Late nineties, early two thousands when those were out. So like it was important. Um, I think, uh, Bob Lutz, there's an interview we'll link to as well on, uh, who killed, who killed Pontiac. But Bob Lutz says he would have loved to keep Pontiac around. He wanted to be like kind of a BMW competitor, like an all rear wheel drive performance car, uh, 
make, which would have been kind of cool, actually. Like, it, it's kind of sucks that it ended because thinking about American. Yeah, I mean, especially to see where the, I mean, to see how the SS came along. I mean, think of what Pontiac could have done in, on that body or on that platform and beyond, especially with the engines we have now. Oh, and suspensions and everything too. Yeah, I mean, you gotta think <laughs> the stuff that the Camaro ZL1 in twenty eighteen is doing, breaking and breaking lap yeah. times. You know, yeah, it's just nuts. Like we could have, you know, I think the Chevy SS is a good car, but Pontiac, you know, sorry, not Pontiac, Chevrolet didn't really try with that car. Obviously, it was just kind of a let's sell it just because we can. Um, but it looks like it, yeah. you imagine it latch dis latch ditch effort to get a muscle car car out there. Yeah, could you imagine, like, so with, with how good some of the stuff like the Camaro ZL1 and the Cadillac CTSV stuff is, like, could you imagine if they had have actually taken the Holden, like, cause there's still crazy Holdens before the brand went out of uh, existence. Especially if they brought the, the Ute over as a Pontiac yeah. and put, like, a CTSV engine in it would be so cool. God, yeah. We need more Utes. We didn't any Utes. Yeah, we do. Aside from, like, a yeah. Subaru Brat or Subaru Baja. <laughs> oh. That's like a new age brat. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that car, but and the Baja. We'll do a whole episode someday on the uh, Subaru Baja, just to make somebody want to put a gun to their head. (laughs) We need to figure out how to, you know, unearth some of these hidden Utes and import them over here. Just start a collection. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, Holden went out of business. uh, Can't remember the year, but I think it was this year. Or 2017, sorry. That um, it went out of business in Australia, which is really sad. So it's, it's, it's kind of sad to see yeah. the muscle car, you know, the GTO completely die. Because, you know, it's, its roots were in Holden. Um, its roots were in Pontiac. Yeah, you can't, can't even see the roots anymore. No, which is too bad. Um, but like I said, I think it, when we when history looks back on the early 2000s, I think the GTO will be worth some money. Like I said, I... I can see it going up in value. Like I said, I think if you were trying to collect a, a current car, you know, people always ask, like, what would you collect now if you were trying to make some money? Uh, I think G8, GXP and like, 2005 oh, yeah. or even 2004 GTOs are definitely worth hanging on to if you can find low miles. Especially if you can get a nice, clean one, low mileage. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Especially, like you said, in one of those weird, bright, crazy colors. Oh, yeah. I think that's. I think that would be a safe bet. Yeah, if you held on one of those and just drove it kind of on the weekends or to shows or something like that, I think you could definitely get your money's worth. Um, and I think that's why you don't see any G8 GXPs on the road. I mean, people kind of knew that that was kind of the very last thing from Pontiac and yep. bought them and just put them straight into their garage and are waiting for them to, you know, waiting 20 years to for them to go up in value. It's probably the reason to pay for their kids' college or something. I have to imagine that's why a lot of the even the 2004, 2006 GTOs are not being seen on the road. Like I have to wonder too, if Pontiac went out of business, people are starting to say like, Oh shoot, I'm going to keep this thing in the garage or something, you know? I hope so. Yeah. I hope in 20 years we see those at Barrett Jackson. I agree. Like I said, you and I should figure out how to buy one with purple interior right now. That would be sweet. You get a purple one and I'll get a blue one with blue interior and we'll just, we'll just put them under a car cover and then, yeah, Take them out in 30 years and see what we can get for it. Take them out every once in a while to just do donuts in a college parking lot. Yeah, relive the glory days. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you feel good about that, Matt? I feel great. How do you feel? I feel pretty great. Well, yeah. Good, good. Another episode of the ignitionblog.com podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes on the Millennium Muscle Car, and we'll be back to you soon.